Hey, it's great to have a whole bunch of visitors with us tonight. You catch us at the start of a new series, a series that uh, me and Mon are pretty excited about. Mon's going to be preaching next week. And Craig came in tonight and he said, what's with that table? That's a perfect response. So uh, we'll get to that real soon. Um, we are excited to jump into this new series. It's in the book of Luke, and uh, it's, it's following along from a book that uh, both Mon and I have read called A Meal with Jesus. And uh, it's going to be looking at six significant passages within the book of Luke where there is a meal and where there is a table. And uh, we, we, we've um, constructed this series uh, so that we can look at one of the, the values that are actually being lifted among us which is hospitality and friendliness. Um, as we uh, grow as a church, as we uh, continue to get larger, we need to get smaller and intimate in some ways. And what better place to do that than at the table? And this is, uh, this is a series which um, will look at all sorts of different emphasis that, that Jesus put on a meal uh, through these different stories. And so I've called tonight Enacted Mission. Okay, Enacted Mission. And it comes from the book of Luke, chapter 14. We're going to be looking there in a minute, but let me open with prayer. Dear God, we humbly come before you tonight as we open your word together. We ask that you would come and bring revelation. As only you can do by your spirit, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to that revelation you wish to bring tonight. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the celebration that has been among us in baptism. Uh, Lord, that obedient step of faith uh, that Nathan took tonight in, a, in the presence of his family and friends. Father, it speaks to the reality of your presence in our life here and now. I love that word from Caleb too, be present here and now. Um, Lord, let us be attentive to what you have to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, after the service tonight, as you've heard, we're going to have a bit of supper out there. And uh, this week, uh, me and Mom were doing some brainstorming, and Bree was in the room, and she said, "Would it, would it be cool to actually have a meal after this?" And and we we're like, "Yeah." And the Maori in me is like, "Yeah, boy, yeah, no, we're going to have a feed." Uh, most of us go out for a feed after this, so uh, you're welcome to join us. Um, but we want to be able to, in some ways, uh, enact the very mission that we're trying to put across through the series together by eating and reflecting together. So we're going to close uh, with some amazing food that's been prepared for us by Bree. She was like, yep, I'll do that. I'm jumping on board with that. So you can pat her on the back on the way out. So. And it smells pretty darn good out there. Um, as you came in the door, you're probably like, flag this service, let's go eat. But um, we'll get there. Um, it's in my DNA as a Māori and uh, as being a part of a whānau that loves food. I trained as a chef, and so the table and food have always been a very uh, important part of my life. And so when I thought about this, uh, uh, this very series, it, it got me excited. Um, one of the things about the series is that there's going to be some controversial things in it, which I hope, I really do hope, make you feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable in a, in a good way because, you know, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus turning everything on its head, don't we? Right through the Gospels and in Luke and through these meals, you will see some things turned on their head. One of my uh, artists, which I've come to, to love and appreciate, he's actually not a Christian artist. He's a photographer um, and, and an artist from America. His name is David LaChapelle. Um, and for me, he, he epitomized um, this 
particular series for us in a picture he did um, on the Last Supper. Uh, some of you may have seen that, that picture before. You know, it's this classic idea of something being turned on its head in a lot of ways. In fact, the, the very people that he's going to be talking to in this passage tonight, he's, he's trying to give them this image in their head. Luke 14 for me, and the banquet, the great banquet that everybody is invited to, that's the kind of scene I think we, 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 we need to have in our minds. Uh, this uh, scene uh, by David LaChapelle um, is one which he's done in a, in a big um, exhibition. There's a, there's a few others in that exhibition. Um, but it's one of my favourites of the Lord's Supper. It's one of the few which I've seen, and I, I actually had a series of images that I looked at of how we could actually provocatively um, evoke some, some stereotypes in the midst of this with you. Um, but this one sits with me. Uh, for me, this is a typical example of the launch pad for mission that Jesus has through his Gospels. He's saying that, you know, the Gospel that, I, that, that I'm living and I'm enacting for you, I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen for all the right people, all the polished people, all the people who seem to have it all together. Um, there isn't a right way of being when you come to Jesus. You come as you are, and you hear that word of the gospel in and through the person and the work of Jesus. This is a ragtag bunch of cultural misfits. You've got um, Hispanics in there, and you've got gangsters, and, and you've even got this guy up here. Yes, that's a guy. Um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating picture for me because this is exactly the type of people that Jesus would have encountered along his journey. Um, it's an androgynous sort of drag queen and, and gangsters. This is, this is the table I would envisage Jesus calling everyone to. You see, those who we consider respectable and upright, people within society, they're not represented, represented here very well, are they? And I'm sure the irony isn't lost on most uh, uh, that one of our profound and universally held sacraments is right there in the centre. Uh, there's some bread, there's some wine, some more bread, and there's people standing around this table questioning Jesus about this mission that he has. He also does a picture um, of Jesus having his feet washed by a prostitute. How many are offended by that picture? That's, that's exactly what he wanted the Pharisees to feel. He says, you know what? That dingy, you know, dark place looks like, you know, hasn't been cleaned forever. This, this woman who is quite obviously um, not your normal sort of situation, washing Jesus' feet, and he's looking out at those who are watching. This is the kind of image that I'm trying to conjure within you through the table. And people are going, what? Because Jesus wants everyone to be a part of this meal, this end time meal. Um, it's in this authentic connection and care that we get the love of Jesus made manifest among us. 
Uh, We truly gain the sense of God's grace, his mission, and his desire in and through community to bring people to himself. I've got a table here set up, and um, the reason why I got my wife to set this up, this is her favourite china set. We never use it. Um, (laughs) Sorry, honey, I know you're watching at home. We never use it. It's pretty. How many of you tonight, just looking at this table, would feel welcome at this table? I notice the hands of those slightly more mature in our midst <laughs> went up. All right. why, wouldn't we, why wouldn't we feel comfortable at this table? What's the barrier about how this table is set for you that stops you from feeling like you could be a part of it? I'll tell you a story. I, I, came, to, um, uh, I came along to um, my wife's grandmother's house and I knew as I was going there that there'd be, you know, three slices of ham placed on the table and three slices of cheese, one each, of course. Um, there would be an aspic. How many know what an aspic is? Good, you don't need to know. <laughs> this table, like this, would be set up. She's like the queen. Um, Lord rest her soul, she has passed. But she invited us around. She needs to meet this new boyfriend. So, of course, being the good Māori boy that I was, we popped by the bakery and I smashed a couple of pies on the way around there <laughs> and a donut, knowing that I'd get one slice of ham and cheese uh, to fill my soul. Um, and when I turned up, I, I felt deeply uncomfortable at this table. Isn't it funny how just the very setting of a table can make us feel uncomfortable? What could I change about this that would make everyone here feel comfortable around? I, I'm not sure that I could use this cutlery uh, and and these cups and these plates and and you feel comfortable. I think it's about who's around the table and who's been invited, isn't it? And this is, I want both these images to sit with you as we we wander through this passage tonight. I hope you'll be pushed out of your comfort zones to engage in a new way of living. One of the things that, that, that we struggle with is Sitting in the tension of difference with others. You're not like me. Uh, We don't share the same values or we don't share the same whatever. So we can't sit together. It's actually a part of our society. We like to create space between classes, between, uh, between cultures. This is my cultural way, so join in or buzz off. Um, we can be really exclusive. And what Jesus is aiming at through these stories that you'll hear over this time is radical inclusiveness. How do we be more radically inclusive and show the love of Jesus? He gives us meals and he gives us tables. I uh, See, one of the biggest problems that we've, we face as well is that um, we have these things called fad diets. Uh, fad diets, they're quite exclusive. Um, I, I had this one guy, they make food the enemy. Food is not the enemy. The table is not the enemy. Ben Wong, there's this Chinese guy who used to come to Glen Eden Baptist when I was there. He had this great saying, and he always said it. He said, hey, I can't do a Chinese accent because that would be... He basically said, I can't do it. It's just bad. Why don't you? 
He basically said, why don't you eat a little less and do a little more? That's what he said in his own way. He said, don't worry about what you're eating. Just eat a little less and do a little more. He's talking about exercise and he's just talking about balance in life. But we, we decide to make food an enemy and, uh, and it actually excludes people rather than includes people. Um, I'm all for diets, you know, um, as long as they're sustainable. Um, God made food and he called it good. We're allowed it and many other things to take centre stage in our life um, and become focused rather than as a means of grace. We've, we've turned them into something that we can exclude and um, keep people away rather than include people and, uh, and show God's grace through it. And food was meant to be shared and enjoyed at a leisurely pace. How many of you have a family that's really into just long meal times? I might. There's a few. Okay, good. I like long meal times. Uh, Dave Andrew, who's one of our um, elders here, he had him around and he's just like, we're going to be here for four hours. That's what he told me. And we were. And I loved every minute of it. Why? Because it comes out of his Argentinian culture which just says we're going to sit, we're going to eat food together, and we're going to enjoy each other's company, and we're going to hear about each other. I love that. I love that about food. Uh, so food was meant to be shared and enjoyed, and so many people just want to kind of smash back that food and, and head out the door. It's kind of a, um, an impedance on the things that we've got to do next. Instead of sitting in the present with people, we're always looking, what's next, what's next, what's next? Now, so... Tonight, if you want to follow along, I'm going to have it on the screen, but we're looking at Luke chapter 14. I'm just going to make two short points about it when we, when we get there. So Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Let me read it to you. Uh, Jesus is uh, being invited to a meal. Oh, he's inviting others to a meal, and he's, he's challenging the banquet etiquette of the Pharisees and those well-to-do within society because they're the ones that are turning it into something it shouldn't be. And he says these words, When he noticed how the guests picked their places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. So he's invited people around and they've decided to sit somewhere on that table that shows their significance. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. <laughs> That's interesting. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. How many of you have been in a wedding and that's happened? I've been in a wedding and that's happened. Right. I sat down in a seat that said Rob on it. It was a different Rob. I was over the back somewhere over there. I just had to, had to find that rather embarrassing moment. <clears throat> then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But you, when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For Oh, I need to change the thing. Sorry. Go along. Number 10. 11, 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will be replayed. Isn't that interesting? Don't do something so you get reciprocal rights. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, 
the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection. I'm keeping up. Someone can follow me. That would be great. I keep reading ahead. You will be blessed. Although you cannot be repaid, um, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And then he goes in to talk about this end times eschatological picture, which speaks to what's going on in that moment. He says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. I'll pause there for a second. There's nothing worse than inviting people around for food. I'm a chef. And they turn up half an hour fashionably late. The food is wrecked. Turn up before time, and the food's good. I'm just saying that. Bugbear of mine just had to get out there. <clears throat> but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. How many of you would put up with that excuse? <laughs> For everything is now ready. All right. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Yeah. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> Should have thought of that before you invited, you invited, right? The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has already been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servants, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's pretty scary. The story that Greg shared this morning I thought was quite poignant of people preparing lunch and people just not turning up. That, that feeling right there. That's what God's talking about through this passage. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I reckon it would be pretty rude even today's society to, to either ignore or make excuses not to turn up to a meal, especially when people make such lavish meals. You see, in the time of Luke writing this, um, it was a very normal thing for mealtimes to be arranged in social order, and that's why he's talking about it, uh, to, to be done with hierarchy in mind. I remember going to a meal. Um, I was invited to a funeral um, of a friend's father. He was uh, Polynesian, and uh, they have a way of seating in, in that culture. And it's a way of honouring those among them. And it was really awkward because if you walk in, and it was really funny to watch, some of my lecturers from my college were invited, and they had to come and sit at the head table. They didn't even know this guy, but they were invited to go and sit at their place because it's a place of honour. This is the kind of social ordering that uh, is being spoken about in their minds in some ways. Only certain people would be invited and there certainly wouldn't be any riffraff like the picture we showed. Be the well-to-do people, the people of influence, the people who could get something done for me. I'm doing something for you not because I want to bless you or show you the grace of God or because I feel compelled to out of love. I'm doing it because I want to feather my own nest. 
And this was an honour and shame culture. They, they believed that there should be a separation of classes between the haves and the have-nots. Meals weren't just a chance to enjoy a social occasion together or to provide a meal for a family that might be in need. It was largely a means of feathering one's social standing and creating opportunities to be invited to others. In some ways, it's the same today, isn't it? Kind of the same. I want to invite these people around because they might invite me around. I want to invite these people around so that I get to know them because they're the popular people or the well-to-do people. It was almost never, the meal was almost never used as a means of grace to another. You gave food to the poor and talking about Jesus' time or the social outcasts and you would do it at your back door, like feeding a dog. Here's the scraps. That's what they classed as their almsgiving back in those days. Uh, the law said, don't associate with those people, they're unclean. And so you can do that, but just out your back door and they can collect what they need. Who knows what religious issues you might get yourself into in Jesus' time. But then again, it's not too different today, is it? We still like to eat with people that, like, that are like us. It's way easier. It's far more comfortable. Uh, we don't have to get to know each other's kind of cultural issues. We don't have to worry about people's food problems you know, maybe they're gluten intolerant, maybe they're dairy free or whatever. It's just like, wow, you know what? It's easier just not to invite them. <laughs> hmm, you laugh, but it's true. You think it. Um, I was talking to, I had the young adults around at my place and I was talking to Hope about, she was coming around and I know Hope has some, uh, she doesn't like this, that, and the next thing. And I was just like, hey, if I made this, would you be cool, you know, if, you know, I could leave this out? And she was just like, she was stoked that I even asked. Why? Because most people don't ask. Most people don't care. That's a bit of an issue, really. I'm unable to eat certain things, and therefore I can no longer come and enjoy a meal with you because you care more about your own needs than the needs of those that you're inviting. Western culture indoctrinates us into a lot of selfish, individualistic patterns. And we've got to learn to break some of those. This is a passage that drives us towards it. See, the point of this parable and the ethic that Jesus is promoting is, is one that was upside down in their eyes. This, uh, let me go to the next one. This kind of sums it up for me. That Jesus saw the meal as a means of grace and a launch pad for mission. That's why I call it enacted mission, this, this talk. Jesus saw it as a place where we could draw in the other. Someone who is other to me. Other in class, social standing, culture. Bring them in. Let me tell you uh, a few stories. And depending on what cultural influence you were raised with, the meal, the food times carry with it um, a different set of ethics and codes depending on where you come from, don't they? Uh, I want to share a couple of quick stories. Growing up, in my home, there was a dinner table, and it collected a lot of dust. Why? Because I was in a uh, home of a solo mum uh, who worked until she could. Um, before she came home, we cooked our own dinner, me and my younger brother, and we ended up eating that generally in front of the TV or in our bedrooms. 
And so I didn't have a very good cultural ethic of what the table meant, the place of it and the power of it. That was, that was my upbringing. Uh, then I came to faith through a family who invited me to their table. Uh, the Clark family, um, who I still uh, know and get on with and uh, love deeply. Uh, a Christian family who invited me around knew that my home life was one which there was a lot of absence of parents and uh, a lot of propensity towards the wrong things. They said, come around and have dinner with us. I, there was one week, I stayed five nights at their house. Most of you would be like, where are your parents at? It was pretty normal for me. But they had dinner around the table. And I just thought that was bizarre. You know, mum and dad and sister and brother and my mate Dave and me. And they, they included me at the table and, they, and it would last ages. I would sit there and they'd talk about their day and I just thought, this is bizarre. This is odd. I just, I just don't get this. Um, a couple of years ago, my last church, a new family, a new immigrant family to our area from Iraq <laughs> said, would the pastor come around and have dinner at our house? And I was like, sure. Man, that'd be cool. Iraqi food, I want to try it out. And then I thought to myself, ooh, I wonder what the cultural ethic is with an Iraqi family. So I Googled it. Yeah, it's that simple. It's that simple to make them feel valued by you. Uh, it said in there, um, grab a bunch of flowers don't take anything because that will offend them, but take flowers and they will generally take those flowers, say thank you, and they'll place them to the side. They won't get displayed. You have to eat first and you have to eat lots. I was like, boom, love Iraqis. <laughs> My kind of house. But they made all sorts of amazing dishes and they had uh, grandma and grandpa down there. I googled, how do you say hello in, in um, the Iraqi language? It was just salam alaikum. Mum and dad were um, Muslim believers, and so I went up and, and I passed the husband and wife guests, and I, I said salam, come to them, and shook their hands, and uh, that was the, that's what Google told me to do. They were just, I was blown away that I'd taken the time to think about that and uh, learn a little bit about what it means to come into their house, the etiquette that would be normal for them. I brought grace to that place. We, uh, we had a thing called You're Invited Sunday, um, and it was a bit similar to the dinner for eight. And we had this big campaign about it, and, and no one took it up. We had five or six different people say, hey, you know, um, and I'm not talking about this church, one that I've been in before, um, come round, free lunch, we need six or seven people to sign up. We had four. Four people go, yeah, we'll, we'll jump on that. You know, people were generally I knew and were comfortable with, but... Most people just didn't see the value in that. Um, then I got married and, <laughs> uh, and I went round to the Ormsby family dinner. And you've got to understand, this thing is noisy as all heck. Uh, there's you know, 10 or 15 people around the table, everyone talking over the top of each other. There's just excitement, there's food. You know, we don't even care what the food is, but there's banter and it goes on for hours. It was fantastic, I loved it. Um, and then, you know, we had a young girl around to our place and she also come from a pretty well-to-do family and uh, they, just didn't, they just didn't sit at the table. It was just an odd thing. How many of you still think 
and still have, I guess, families that don't necessarily sit around the table. I mean, my family still doesn't. It's quite a few, eh? It's quite a few. Um, it's, it is a bit odd. My Māori family, however, when we go to the marae, you go in and everybody's involved with the, the food prep, and um, if you don't, you get things thrown at you. Um, food is a cultural language. Then you all sit on big, long tables, and those who are 80 years old and those who are four years old sit at the same table, generally right next to each other, and the wisdom is passed, and stories are shared, and the food is eaten, and it takes a long time. And then you all go out, and there's no dishwasher except your hands, and you stand alongside those same people when you wash dishes. And this whole experience, this whole meal experience is all-inclusive. Everyone, young and old, in the prep, in the eating, and in the clearing. That's just the way Māori do it. Here's a whole bunch of pictures for you to sort of wrestle with. When we return to the parable that Jesus is telling, we sense a few good a good few of these values being expressed from my illustrations. See, meals can be a, a visual representation of your heart. I know that when we have people around our house, my wife loves to, to prepare a nice table, and you're going to go out there later and you're going to see uh, a representation of someone preparing a table for you out of their heart. They didn't just go, oh, let's just you know, chuck a couple of tablecloths out and it's all good. No, no, we want you to come and feel like you're welcomed here, that someone's put something together that's special. And Bree's done an awesome job with the team tonight to do that. If our hearts are concerned for position, for honour, for status or for approval, then that will be reflected in our dining etiquette. How often have you just invited a bunch of randoms around to your house? My first week here in Bethlehem, um, our little cul-de-sac that we live in, there's about 16, 20 houses, um, there's a letter in a letterbox. Someone knocked on our door, said, hey, we're going to have a street barbecue. Whenever someone new comes to the street, we invite everyone over and we have a street barbecue. It was awesome. I didn't even do that. It was so good. I'm living proof that the table and the meal actually have a missional outcome. I think it's because of the table and a meal that I know who Jesus is today. I saw it enacted in and through people. But there's something else about the table that's a great equaliser. A couple of months ago, I sat at a table where the Prime Minister was. Um, I was there on behalf of um, our national leader who hadn't started yet, and uh, it was Carmel Cipollone and a couple of other ministers, and all the leaders of the churches from New Zealand were around this table. And uh, it was a fascinating thing because at that table, we were invited to pray for her. She invited us to pray for her. And uh, we'd already decided that um, the leader of the Methodist movement at the time, um, a lady who is names escape me right now, she stood up and she prayed this prayer. It was just, it was amazing. And Jacinda, Carmel, and the two other minister, female ministers were in tears when she'd finished praying for them. It's amazing that we sat around this table. You wouldn't get that opportunity with a table, right? It's amazing how often the table features in social norms and structures that we don't always understand. Uh, there's this great quote from Tim Chester. 
um, from this book, A Meal with Jesus. It says, prostitutes loved sharing a meal with Jesus, yet they avoided the church he founded like a plague. Something's gone really wrong. Something's gone really wrong, and I agree. And so I want to leave you with two different things tonight. The first of those um, is an attitude. The second is a practice. The first are these words, grace and humility. They've always been the starting point for me that enacted this scenario which Jesus is calling us into, this hospitality, this radical inclusiveness. Um, I remember the humble beginnings and the grace that was shown to me. Uh, a young boy who didn't know how to use all the different cutlery and how to sit in the right spaces. It isn't the cultural elite that Jesus came to reach, it's everyone. And the meal gives us this opportunity to show that grace and humility in what we do and welcoming people into our space. Hospitality has to be done with an attitude that reflects the grace and humility of Jesus. And it's a one-way transaction. I don't do it so that I can get something back. I'm doing it because I want to bless you. I just want you to be fed and enjoy being together with our family. I want you to just to receive that and just to enjoy it and then go home full and happy and satisfied. If that's all you get out of tonight, hallelujah. That's what we're about. I had this guy when I was in India, his name, which I will call, I'll call him Keith. Um, anyway, uh, he took me out and I said, man, I'm really keen for some cha. And how many of you had sweet tea cha from, you know, some of us have been to India. Um, anyway, he took me down these alleyways and we ended up in this hole in the wall. And I'm not joking, it would have been about that wide. And there's a guy in there just getting this cha together. And um, I'm, you know, typical Westerner. I'm paying for this. And he just puts his hand like this. And I knew I'd offended him. I was like, yeah, I'm the one with the money. I'll pay for this. He just said, no. And the guy made the char. And there was about six other Indian guys there. And they were just sort of checking me out. Um, and it was the best char we ever had. They mixed a little bit of butter in it. <sighs> Praise Jesus. Um, it, was, it was the business. <laughs> it was the business. But. I removed the ability for him to bless me because I was there thinking that I was the one that was supposed to pay for this. In that moment, I removed his ability to do that. See, time, the time and effort it requires um, to grow this grace and humility in our lives, um, 36 I think it was at that time, still hadn't quite made it there. And we often prefer to distance ourselves or detach ourselves. So this is the attitude with which we need to grab, grab hold of this. The second is a practice. Okay? And this comes from my Māori heritage. And it's this word manakitanga. Um, this, for me, is radical inclusiveness. It's about hospitality. It's about kindness. It's about generosity. It's about support. It's this living into something different in our lives. It's the process of showing respect, generosity, and care for others. The response we give when we understand what it means to surrender our time and space to people and beings that enter our world. Often, we're too busy running to the next thing to be present with people. 
food and, and opportunity gives us, um, gives us that. But tonight, we're going to give you that opportunity um, by showing this to you tonight. Um, out in our cafe, there's two big, long tables. Um, we encourage you not to just sit with the people you would normally sit with if you're staying with us. Sit somewhere along and fill, fill those tables up and the food's going to come along um, in a few minutes. But the reason why I'm so committed to the table, I, I saw this a couple of years ago. And it says, if you are more fortunate than others, it's better to build a longer table than a taller fence. Um, often we want to get space from people and push away. I was in Auckland yesterday for um, a family do, and I drove in and I just came past all these streets that just had fences that were six foot high. You just, it's just exclusive and closed. And I know within some of those communities, it's, it's difficult, it's security, it's other things. But for me, we live in quite a fortunate position and often we're trying to create space between people rather than bring people in. The table is that place. We actually bought a bigger table when we moved here because we had more space. We love it because we can have more people around. The extra me loves it. My wife is an introvert and she tells me to calm the farm. So, love you darling. It's the response we give when we understand what it means to surrender our time and space to people. So I'm going to close now, and I've got a couple of questions I want you to ponder over your meal that you're welcome to come along. And if you can't make it, then take these home with you. The first one is, what would it mean to celebrate God's kingdom so that the people at the bottom of the pile, wherever you find yourself, and at the end of the line, would find it to be good news? Okay, What would it mean to celebrate God's kingdom wherever you find yourself? What does that look like for you? Okay, these are questions you can ask yourself and those over dinner. What ways could you personally begin to enact biblical banquet etiquette? It's not just about food. It's about coming around a table without food sometimes, maybe just drink. I don't know. But how can you do that in your own personal world? Okay, doesn't matter how big your table is. There's always space, right? Invite someone along. And the last one is, as a church, it's very it difficult. As a church, what do we desire BBC to be known for in our community when it comes to hospitality and manakitanga? I know that we work really hard as a staff team to welcome and to include and to provide space for people to engage. But what does it mean for all of us, not just the paid ones? What does it mean in your home, in your neighbourhood, with your work colleagues, with your friends? What would it look like to show them something that's an ethic that comes out of being a part of our community? Let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful uh, tonight that you're patient with us, uh, that we are constantly learning uh, grace and humility, what it means to walk in that, have an attitude of uh, love and care for others, to have that outward-looking element to our lives when the world's telling us to be more and more about ourselves. Um, Lord, your word uh, talks to us so clearly about table etiquette, about it being a place of power and a place of 
um, of inclusion. And tonight I want to pray that at the very minor level, Lord, you would start a work in all of us. Maybe some of us need a, a full renovation there, Lord, but I just pray that you would gently lead us and show us why. Why is it so important? Why is it that we always see you dining and sitting and reclining with many? What part of your mission, Lord, does that play in our lives? So we thank you tonight, Lord, and we just ask that you would continue to reveal yourself through our meal as we, as we spend time together and as we chat. Um, may the truth of your gospel become more apparent to us as we live into those things. In Jesus' name, amen.